0: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with Clover, and Clover was in an abusive relationship with a conflict-loving firefighter. It's a story about being caught in the fog of chaos and how Clover used domestic violence agencies to help get herself and her family out safely. Clover is a true beacon of hope. And now, before we get to our episode with Clover, I just wanted to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. A big shout out to all our friends in our Narcissist Apocalypse Facebook support group for just being a great group of people. Also, a reminder, if you have not left, left, I did it two weeks in a row, I couldn't say that part. If you haven't left us a review on whatever podcast service you use, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, leave us a five-star written review as it helps out the show a lot when it comes to rankings. If you don't want to do a written review, just do a regular five-star review. Now, the quickest way to be part of our show is if you want to read a letter to your narcissist and be part of our letters to our narcissist compilation episode. We have a voicemail recorder on our website. To record, go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. It's on the right side of the page, and it's always floating around. It's hard to miss. There's a button there that says, send voicemail, press it, and away you'll go. You can record up to five minutes. So if you need more than five minutes, record once, twice, three times, four times, as many times as you need. We're accumulating these letters for a volume three of that episode. So send in those voicemails. And if you want me or my old pal, Melissa, to to read your letter instead, just send it to NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com and put letters to my narcissist in the subject line. Last thing, our new podcast, Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, was supposed to be out last week, but we are a bit delayed by the Apple submission process. So next week... Our first episode will hopefully be up. Or, you know, Let's go Apple. Let's get the people behind the scenes working here and, and get it going. Let's get our new podcast up. Our first episode, when it comes out, will be focused on scapegoats with Julie L. Hall, author of the book, The Narcissist in Your Life, Recognizing the Patterns and Learning to Break Free. I've read the book. It's a wonderful book. It's got some heavy praise from some big names, too. So Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A will be out there as quick as possible. So let's say next Thursday, uh, it'll probably be out. So next week when I do this podcast, I will be promoing the other podcast, if that makes any sense at all. I'm just rambling, and now it's time for me to get out of my own way. Here is my conversation with Clover. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse and with me today I have Clover. How are you Clover?
1: I'm doing well today. How are you?
0: I am good. As we discussed before, I have a little bit of a dry mouth problem. I don't know what's going on with me. I'm hoping that I don't disgust anyone out there today. You're making me (laughs)
1: self-conscious about mine,
0: too. (laughs) But before we begin, everyone, today we're going to hear a story about an ex who was a firefighter. This is the second story that we've had about a firefighter. And it seems to be a little bit of a theme maybe with uh, people who are in these positions. So we're going to discuss that a little bit as we go on in this story. And I just want to thank you for sharing your story with us today. And I am going to get out of your way and the floor is now yours.
1: Thanks, Brandon. Okay, so I'm going to start my story. um, About six-ish years ago, I was in my mid-30s and um, losing my mind. I had put myself um, in a position in my life that was extremely overwhelming and um, emotionally just unbearable. I had moved my ex-husband and my mom um, a couple of hours away with my six- or seven-year-old son um, because my ex-husband had been in a car accident and had become disabled, and um, I was one of the only supports that he had to um, rehabilitate properly. My mom had um, come down with blood poisoning, was on life support. Um, had complications after this illness and needed me to take care of her. So I took on those massive caregiving roles, moved us away, was working as a social worker during the day in the child abuse arena. Um, And at night I was a juvenile probation tracker. So I was chasing teenage criminals at night, um, which led to like 16 and 18 hour work days in a county in our state that was number one ranked for meth. So massively stressful. Um, and after about a year and a half of being in this situation, um, I kind of cracked. I kind of just really lost my mind. Um, I ended up abandoning my ex-husband and my mom, um, and just giving up and moving back home with my son. And, um, instead of facing the failure that I was feeling and, um, the atrocities and horrors that I had witnessed in my job, um, instead of going to therapy and properly doing the work, um, I decided to. Just distract myself, numb myself, and I used men and I used sex uh, and drinking as uh, drugs to do this. And so. I um I've
0: sorry, I have one question first. Just to explain sure. to people that your ex husband who was living with you, your relationship had already ended, correctly? Correct?
1: Yes. We had been divorced um for a few years, um, when this car accident had happened and i decided to move back in or to put him in ho- in my in my home and take care of him because he wasn't rehabilitating properly because he didn't have a proper support system i felt tons of guilt because he wasn't able to parent our child and he and i had a really good relationship we were still friends we were co-parenting um our son very you know very positively and um so i thought i could save him and his ability to parent and rehabilitate him while, um, taking care of my mom and doing these super stressful jobs and parenting our child. And, um, so he and I, um, still to this day have a, we're friendly and co-parent and, um, have a positive relationship, and, you know, our number one priority is our child's best interest always. So um, when I had kind of, I say, abandoned um, them, he had come from being in a wheelchair when I first had moved him into my home to um, walking with a cane and getting around and being able to take care of our son. Um, independently. So, um, whenever we, whenever I moved back home, he ended up coming, um, back to the same town shortly after moving close by. So my son, um, spent a lot of time with his father too, um, And so, when my son was at school or at his dad's, I was dating, I was drinking, I was just attracting all kinds of chaos into my life. And before this, I had been, um, quote, unquote, you know, normal middle class, (laughs) regular behaving type of professional person, and um, I had just overwhelmed myself emotionally to the point where, um, I couldn't take it anymore. And, um, right after moving back home, my grandma who had raised me through high school, not, uh, through my high school years, um, passed away. My mom found her, um, dead on her apartment floor, suddenly, unexpectedly, early 70s, you know, she wasn't, had no health problems, and so then just another massive emotional blow to me, so um, that day that my grandma died, I went to the bar, um, you know, as one that is drinking and distracting herself does, and um, met... The person that this story is sort of centered around, um, he was a massive distraction. And I mean massive. Uh, he was a mountain of a man. He was six foot four, 320 pounds, like, uh, four foot shoulders, like just a giant dude and, um, very just, uh, vivacious and boisterous. He was loud and um, intense and dramatic and intimidating kind of and um, very, very inappropriate. And my best friend was with me at the time and she, after uh, we had spent some one-on-one time with him, she looked at me and she goes, oh my God, I think that dude is like a wife beater. Like, can you stay away from him? And, um, to me, that was, he was entertaining. He was, the drama was like intoxicating. Um, he, his inappropriateness was, I have a sense of humor that I found it extremely, um, engaging and not something that I'm proud of uh, looking back on it, but, um, you know, he was a personification of the craziness and distraction that I needed at the time. And, um, we started an insane, uh, relationship from the very beginning. Like I was dating other people. Um, he knew that I didn't want a relationship and, It was kind of like a challenge for him to, um, get me to react to him at first. Um, he would, so I kind of lived two different lives. When my son was home, I was the ride our bikes, go to the pool, play Legos, uh, focus, appropriate mother. And then when my son was gone, um, I was drinking, binge drinking, I was engaging, Um, In some really reckless and stupid situations where I would meet guys on dating apps and have strangers come to my house, Um, I let this highly inappropriate and soon-to-find-out abusive man kind of take over my life. So we had been, I, I jokingly use the term, like, booty call situation. Um, for about eight months. And during those eight months, he started figuring out when I was home with my son and he would show up drunk during those times because he knew that I was sober and that there wouldn't be another guy there and that I would pacify him while my son was sleeping, like I wouldn't cause any trouble. I would feed him, have sex with him, and send him on his way. So he figured out to get what he wanted when to show up, because if he showed up when I didn't have my son, I was likely to have another male there. I was likely to, um, fight him away to not want him around. Um, and I remember one time it was so insane that, um, he took a knife and like cut my um, shirt open on my porch just for the shock value of it. Um, like, Completely unwarranted, no warning, just pulled the knife out and cut my shirt open, and I'm standing on my front porch in town, and then left, and was he just did things to shock and um, get reactions?
0: And I know he I probably will address this fully later in in the show, but at the time, was the thought process of, of what was going on, uh, what he was actually doing, was that something in your mind at all, that, like, this is his intention, like, um, my son is home, this is what's going on, or is that not even close to your thought process at this time?
1: That, I figured out that he was um, showing up whenever he could get me to, quote-unquote, behave, and... Um, I did put that together that he was showing up when my son was there. And then whenever I wanted to like go out to the bar and be crazy and get drunk and have fun and would invite him, he didn't want anything to do with me. So he started very early, this pattern of opposites. And it is a theme throughout our entire relationship, throughout our marriage, And, uh, plays out with our, with our, uh, later child and my son as well. So, um.
0: When it comes to him being, uh, a firefighter, how much of a role did that play in your early relationship with being involved with him or letting it slide? Was it something that attracted you? And we're like, oh, he's a firefighter. I, like, uh, he must be a good guy.
1: Um, not really because, not at first, because, um, he was a volunteer on a small town fire department. Like they rarely got called out. If they did, it was, Probably for a grass fire, you know, he just carried his gear in the back of his truck. And if he wasn't intoxicated, he showed up, uh, and hosed out a grass fire. Like there was no heroism, uh, (laughs) factoring into this time that he was being a firefighter, but Interestingly, he would post on – the only time that he ever posted on social media were memes about how amazing and heroic firefighters are, right, and so guaranteed attention and likes. And um, so he very early had this predisposition to use being a firefighter as an attention getter and an ego feeder, and this gets worse later because um, – he when um later in our marriage he gets on a bigger department and kind of gets more involved in another fire department so um i will tell you more about that um when we get to uh, the point in our marriage when that happens but first so after the booty call situation um after eight months of that happening um we had met um, at the end of March and at the end of the summer I remember telling him I will not be doing this anymore like all of this craziness has, I've got to stop it you're part of this craziness that I needed for the summer and I'm done it was uh, Labor Day and I went Labor Day is the end of all of this I will not see you again and um Two months later, after not talking to him, um, he shows up at my house and um, never leaves. <laughs> he, like, moved himself into my house. Um, it was never discussed. He was not invited. Actually, I had told him I never wanted to see him again. So um, he was so inappropriate with my son. He. One of the first interactions that he had with my eight-year-old son uh, was dropping M-ether and -er (laughs) C-ether in my living or in my kitchen in front of my child who had never heard those words, Um, and just just for the shock of it, he knew that my son had um, had a sheltered normal. Life and that that would bother me because one of his tactics, um, and the motivation behind this opposite theme was to get me provoked to hysteria. Um, and this is something that I didn't recognize until the very end, but, um, He would do things like, um, throw fits. Like I used to tell people he was like a giant out of control toddler with behavior problems. He would scream and cuss and rage and throw things and stomp and slam things, um, as a way to get his way. Um, I remember one of the very first times that I encountered this, um, I was a Um, part of my job training was, um, I had to have so many hours of, um, like continued education in a year. And so sometimes those required like overnight trips and I had to take a two day trip for a training for work and he lost his mind and I had never encountered anything like this. And at this point we were living together, um, because finally I just agreed to, a cohabitation after kind of not really having a choice. Um, and he would throw fits about like the hours that I worked. He would throw fits about just any regulation at his job changing or someone telling him something he didn't like or me telling him he couldn't do something or have something. Um, and he. He also, one of the major things that, um, looking back, I realize uh, was a pattern. He would say, like, untrue, completely unsubstantiated, not in reality, claims against me, which his projection. So I would become massively defensive and enraged. And a lot of the things at the time, it just, they just made no sense. It was, um, so confusing. His behavior and his claims and his out, you know, accusations. Um, and they, a lot of the things, uh, he would say and like his words and his actions never matched. Um, That's something I've um, since learned is very common with these kind of people. Um, And I had never met anybody in my life that said things they didn't mean. All of the people that I had surrounded myself with, all of my family were genuine, authentic people. And so whenever he would say I love you and I want to be a father to your son. And the most important thing to me in my whole life that I've wanted more than anything as a child and these big dramatic claims and statements, I took them at face value. But then the things that he would do didn't match the words that he would say. And one of the things that, um, he did, besides all of these false promises and false um, declarations, um, whenever we first, so we had been together about a year, living together about a year, no, not living together about a year, living together a few months, but had uh, was um, the next March, he proposed on his birthday. Um, a on the knee with the ring, the whole nine yards, and had his parents there to take pictures and told me that he did it on his birthday so that I would be his gift. Later, put together, he saw me as a possession, at the time, thought it was the most romantic thing, right? So, um, all of this stuff was happening to me, primarily. It wasn't really happening around my son or to my son. And then one day, um, not long after he proposed, he, he always would tell me very negative things about my son that were not true. My son is very sensitive, very sweet, very forgiving and loving, very intelligent. And he would say things to me about my son that weren't true. And get me hysterically defensive and angry. But he never, like I, we kept kind of this two life thing. Uh, we kept a lot of the chaos and drama away from my son. But one day, Um, he got in my son's face. Keep in mind, he is a giant human being and screamed at him that he needed his teeth knocked down his throat. My son had done nothing. It was all in, um, I don't know what to refer to him as, uh, the mountain. It was all in his head. Um, for whatever reason that he screamed at my son and it was a Saturday night and I went that it I'm, I'm done. I will tolerate so much mistreatment to me and I will not tolerate you mistreating my son. So by Monday I had went back to my hometown because we had, moved into his house. that was 20 minutes away. Um, and so I went back to my hometown, put down deposit for another house. Uh, by that Friday, I had gathered a group of friends and we in secret, um, I did not tell him I was leaving. I don't know at the time. I didn't have a reason why I wasn't telling him. I just knew I was scared of him, but didn't understand exactly why I just, my instinct, my gut said, just get out and don't tell him you're leaving. So while he was at work, I I had planned all of this through the week. I got the house without him knowing while he was at work on Friday, um, me and a crew of my friends moved a three bedroom home into a U-Haul and two pickups and got it 20 minutes away. And he had figured out while he was at work because I had quit answering his phone calls and one of the things that he used as an intimidation in our relationship always was he called and text me incessantly and if I did not answer him, um, he would get extremely angry and scream and cuss and um, threaten me. So... I left the first time. I was gone five weeks living on my own again with my son. I would, I started drinking very heavily. Um, I was having obsessive thoughts. I couldn't function from day to day. I put myself in therapy, but it's all I could think about, um, night and day. And, um, it's all I could talk about. And now I understand that I was having withdrawals from um, because I believe myself to be a love addict and this, you know, whenever, um, you leave an abusive relationship, there are withdrawals. And I very clearly see that's what was happening to me. So I very desperately wanted him back and very desperately wanted him to stay away from me at the same time. And after five weeks, he showed up on my porch. I don't know how he figured out where I was living. Um, and, begged me to take him back came clean about all of the um, online affairs he had been having and um, and um promised that the promises were so elaborate and dramatic and believable he was um he pretended remorse like um you know an oscar winner i believed him um and i it was all you know um complete just pretend it was all pretend because after 4 months he was right back to his abusive self. So, uh, but I did take him back and my son, I remember telling my son after a few weeks of, um, seeing him and my son, not knowing my son yelled at me for the first time in his life. Um, this is so stupid. We gave him a chance and he ruined it. What are you doing? You know? And, um, Still didn't stop me because of that whole addict thing. Um, so,
0: how then, do you, how do you feel about that now? I, I'm sure it's a big source of. A hurt Uh, for you and and shame. Um, And like, I guess maybe this is a bad time to discuss it and maybe we'll discuss at the end of the the episode. But at the time, were you thinking of anyone else's thought process or was that not even these kind of things were just like, I know what I'm doing. Um, Just, we're going to get through this.
1: Um, The amount of things that I logically knew were wrong with what I was doing and the level of denial that I had, um, because I have a massive savior complex. And so I thought I can make him a good person. I can show him the difference between right and wrong, and I can love him into being good to us. So I kind of dismissed my son's concerns and my very valid concerns about his behavior. And now he's promising to be a good person. And so, aha, I did it. And then I got pregnant. So, um, let me kind of go into this. So, um, I didn't want any more children. Um I was very focused on my son, and so was my ex husband and I kind of felt like i wasn 't really in a place to be um, having another child um so I had been very clear with this person. Um, Well, I mean, if you, there's kind of a theme, I don't want a relationship with you. I never want to see you again. Now it's, I don't want a child. And the thing he wants the most in the world now is a child. So um, he had been um, married previously. They had tried having a child. He had low fertility, I went with him to a doctor's appointment because I didn't trust him and did not want another child and had the doctor. I listened to the doctor's voicemail from the test saying that the chances of him being able to have a child were next to nothing. So I took my birth control. I had permanent birth control in my arm. I took it out. Um, And it was the first time that we had sex after my birth control was out and that I had ovulated that I got pregnant because um, I had an undiagnosed health issue at the time. I had been having kidney stones, but not really any other symptoms. Um, And what I had was called parahypothyroidism, which is a Uh, gland on your thyroid gland uh, called a parathyroid and when it gets wonky it floods your body with calcium well calcium aids in fertility so voila only person on the planet he could procreate with was me uh because also this condition in women under 50 is unheard of as well so um and then, also come to find out, this condition—I was being calcified. Um, all of my organs were being calcified, including my brain. So it was—it was affecting my cognition. So I don't know if it is true or not, but I like to use it as an excuse now that, like, you know, I had brain damage, and that's why I chose <laughs> a partner. Um, so I, it was a combination of many things, obviously, but well, I do believe that fa- fa- that was falling part in, of it.
0: Falling in love can be considered brain damage. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people so, out there aren't going to like that comment, but for some people, uh, it is a brain da- You know, it is a problem it's a brain to be
1: blind well i i I do look back and i was like i couldn't do math in my head anymore i would read a page of something and not have any idea what i read and you know i have a teaching degree a a 10-year history of being a professional social worker like i've since Started my own uh, behavioral uh, mental health business. Like, I have a brain. I just didn't have one then because it was calcified. It also caused me to almost die whenever I had uh, my daughter because my placenta calcified and fragmented inside of me and I hemorrhaged almost to death. Um, and then it caused massive, um, health issues for my daughter as well. The fact that she survived the pregnancy in and of itself is a defy science. Um, but then after she was born eight days after she was born, she started having metabolic seizures. She was put in the Nick or in the ICU. Um, and, um, we did round-the-clock blood draws and medications, and uh, for months, um, we were living in an extreme state of survival, uh, in survival mode, and um, I was still experiencing massive symptoms from my condition. Um, she was born in October her system kind of regulated itself um, in December so for two months it was I was uh, 24 hours a day with this child who was either screaming in pain because her issues caused bone pain or in the hospital or you know my life was um, keeping this child alive. Um, and that was it for those two months. And then after that, um, I had surgery and almost died after the surgery was on life support, come home from being on life support. My mom um, came and took care of my daughter and um, he wasn't my husband at the time, but uh, is currently I'm in the process of a divorce. Um, and he, Left me laying in bed for, um, three days, almost three days without feeding me, and I almost died again because he almost let me starve to death. So, um, and this is because he doesn't understand that I was not just an object to meet his needs, that I wasn't just his servant, that I actually had needs too, um, not just emotional needs or, um, you know, um, that I actually required food. I don't think that he was capable of even understanding that. Just like a toddler doesn't understand that about their parent, because I believe that's where he functioned as a human being. Mm -hmm. So not only um, am I in survival mode now, um, living with my health issues, a baby with health issues, she then uh, has attachment issues because of being in the hospital. So um, she requires night and day connection, attention, physical touch. Um, I am just um, surviving to kind of rewire her brain, you know? And I'm also homeschooling my son at this point. I'm starting a business with my best friend. We're starting um, a behavioral mental health agency. Um, and I don't even have time to brush my hair some days. Um, you know, that's the level of... time and attention I was giving myself. I would take a shower um, and my daughter would scream to be being held. I would make dinner, I would have a phone call, any of those things um, and she wanted me to hold her and be interacting with her, um, which I did to the point of just utter exhaustion with absolutely no help. My husband did not even recognize that it was happening as long as he had dinner, he had sex and he had me answering his text messages and phone calls. Um, he didn't recognize anything that was needed in our home because I had it covered, you know, I was doing it. And, um, then, um, after getting my surgery and my medications under, I started like healing.
0: In this chaos, do you realize that it is chaos or are you, is this just normal, I guess, for you for after a while?
1: There wasn't any brain functioning happening. I was so sleep deprived that I was hallucinating. Like it was like, I mean, I understand my prisoners of war are sleep deprived. It was torture. Um, and then my daughter hit, it was for two years. It was like that. So I don't have a lot of memories of exact things that happened. Um, I do know the one time I tried to leave my daughter with my husband, she was a few months old, um, to go get a medical test. I took my son with me and left, Um, my few-month-old daughter with my husband and ended up, he ended up calling me hysterical and screaming and angry at me, but it was because he didn't feel comfortable being alone with her. And I ended up canceling my, you know, like life and death medical testing to come home because I needed to rescue her from his incompetency. So she was never left alone with him. He didn't parent her ever at all. I mean, he may have changed a few diapers, but he's never put her to bed, given her a bath, done any kind of parenting whatsoever. And I didn't want him to do that.
0: Um so you're just so you're, like you're I, just surviving. You are just literally in this specific period right here.
1: Do, I'm making sure my kids are fed, yes. that my house is taken care of, that my bills are paid, that uh, my husband is uh you know getting the attention that he's required to not be extremely verbally abusive to me and the children. Um, and that's it. That's all that I am able to get done. And then, um, so I my surgery was in April. Um, by I didn't have a voice even until August because it's um, so super close to your layer next to your voice box, and that had been damaged in the surgery. So by August I was starting to talk. Um, I had identified an, um, a. Um, another thyroid issue and gotten the medication that I needed for that and was starting to heal. So as I started healing, my cognition started coming back So because I was also sleeping. My daughter had also started sleeping at this point. So um, she, it took a year and a half to get her to be able to sleep um, more than just, fragmented pieces at a time. So and I was the only one taking care of her. So I didn't get a full night's sleep for two years after she was born. Um and once I started sleeping, once I started healing, um I started like waking up to a fucking nightmare. Um my husband was provoking and antagonizing me. Um all, I bet almost on a daily basis to the point where I would um, I would react so quickly because I was so tired and so worn down. I had zero self-control. So he would say something ridiculous to me about like, um, I'm not doing something well enough or correctly or good enough. And... I would just lash out at him with, how dare you? Why are you so shitty to me? And shitty was a word that I used a lot uh, whenever I was out. I always asked him, why are you being shitty? And then one day, my daughter was two years old, two and a half years old. Standing in the kitchen, and I had just had an altercation with my husband upstairs. We come downstairs to the kitchen she was misbe she was out of control her behavior um was so terrible when my son was little he um was like an exemplary he was an ideal toddler like I thought I was the best parent in the world and then my daughter because she lived in this chaos um, her behavior reflected it and so she had gotten in trouble I had scolded her and she had went you don't like me because I'm shitty I'm shitty I'm shitty she kept saying and I went oh my god what am I doing It was like a bucket of cold water on my face. Um, It woke me up, and I went, that's it. I will stop reacting. And I started diving into um, educating myself on how to stop reacting, what was happening in my house. Like, I read Psychopath Free. I read Out of the Fog. I read... um, other books and watched YouTube videos. I started listening to podcasts about narcissism, introducing your podcast to me, Um, and realized that, like, I was in an abusive marriage, an abusive relationship, and um, my children were being affected. Like, it just hit me when she said I'm shitty, that, oh, I'm doing this to my child and that I have responsibility. And so, um, I decided that I had to leave and that was this last, late last summer that this happened. So yeah, my daughter was two and a half ish. And, um, then when I started not reacting to my husband, um, he started escalating his behavior and it got to the point where one of the last things that he was doing um to get a reaction to because he used to ignore my daughter intentionally. He would pretend to sleep in the morning while we were getting around and she would be trying to interact with him and it would send me into a rage. Like why are you doing this? Why are you being shitty? And um then I stopped reacting to that and she stopped reacting to that. Whenever we would have um less and less, I was able to control myself more and more, less and less, we would have these big blow-ups in the house. And she started escaping the room whenever it would happen, because he would pin me in rooms and provoke me. He trapped me in a closet um, recently. It's in my protection order, which is how I got out of my marriage, Um, and showed me pictures of Whenever we were first in our relationship and went, why aren't you like this anymore? What is wrong with you now? And that's the kind of stuff that he did to get me hysterical. And um, so constantly, he would put his arms, he would back me against a counter in the bathroom or kitchen and put an arm on each side of me and pin me. And he also used excessive physical affection. So when the opposite theme that I talked about, whenever we were first together, I wanted lots of attention and sex, like in a new relationship. He didn't want anything to do with either one of those things. He intentionally ignored me. He rejected sex all the time, declined sex all the time. At the end of our marriage, I didn't want him to touch me at all, let alone have sex with him. I had to be, for the last year and a half of our marriage, I had to be. Be uh, intoxicated to have sex with him, and he constantly touched me and kissed me, and I and like I knew I had to do it or he was going to throw a fit. So he used intimidation to force sex a lot, which is I think very much a type of sexual assault, sexual abuse. um I don't know if it's recognized as that. Um, And so, um, he used
0: essentially what's kind of going on here is he would look at, okay, you like this, I'm going to do the opposite behavior. And he would always do what would cause a fight. He's always trying to figure out what's going to cause a fight. And that is technically happening for how long was your relationship? Six years. Six years of him looking at, okay, you like this, I'm going to like that, she likes this, I'm going to do this instead.
1: So when I started educating myself and realizing this was happening, I started documenting, when I wrote, when I wanted to uh, leave, I started documenting his behavior, his lack of parenting, because I knew I was going to go through a custody battle. So daily, I started documenting all of this stuff, and it started clicking, man. It started, the dots just started connecting. I saw that everything he was doing was intentional and that when I stopped reacting, like I said, his behavior started escalating to get reactions out of me. And so one of the last things that he was doing was he was sleeping naked, uncovered, in potential view of my 13-year-old son. And that guaranteed made me lose my mind. It got to that point. I don't know where this would have ended up had I stayed with him because he used the children as ammunition to get reactions out of me from the beginning. And I just didn't see what was happening until this late, this last summer. So the fear of what this was going to become from him um, was just immense. Um, And one of the, largest motivators to leave um so then my next steps in leaving were I called the domestic violence hotline um and just talked to a lady um about what was happening in my home and what my husband was doing and just got validated for the first time yes this is abuse and um that was a major step, uh, just the validation. Uh, so then, you know, it was just more fuel to actually leave. So, um, I got an advocate in my area, a domestic violence advocate in my area that, um, just kind of held my hand through getting a protection order because the trapping and pinning and blocking that, uh my husband did to me, um, was enough to get a protection order because it's actually physical abuse. So, and I had no idea of that. I would have not known that I could do that without, uh, the domestic violence advocate. So what the protection order did was removed him from my home, made it so he could not contact me, made it so he had limited contact with my daughter and, um, did this all without me being involved. Um so um after I got the advocate and wrote up the order I knew that I was taking a trip with my children for a homeschool event for my son and so I had all of this lined up to um, that date of that trip so that my husband wouldn't be suspicious of me taking the children and leaving so that was November 20th just a couple months ago um and before that happened I went and got an attorney Um, And had that protection order ready to be um, entered into the court the day that I left to go on this trip with my kids. So I had packed up, um, there were guns in our home because we live in a rural area and you know, everybody has a gun. So I, I had removed the guns from our home. I had taken birth certificates and social security cards and insurance papers, um, health insurance cards, all of those things, those important things and packed them. Um, like I, in with the stuff that I was packing for the trip, uh, you know, so he wouldn't notice, Um, and, um,
0: I can't say how important it was to remove the firearms from the home for anyone who's listening, who's in a situation like this. Uh, I've been reading recently a book called "No Visible Bruises," and I guess one of the first things someone should do who's in these situations, especially you know, if you are afraid of uh, your spouse and you think that your spouse is capable of of taking things to uh, that type of level, removing uh, weapons from your home like that is a priority. um, and I was like, did the advocacy agency tell you to do that, or did you do that on your own?
1: Um, it isn't a protection order. It asks if there are firearms in the home. So that's just what gave me the idea to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, I had, he had a spare set of um, house keys and car keys in his vehicle that I removed beforehand. Um, I did a lot of just, um, He had never been, he had never physically assaulted me. He had physically assaulted other people, men. I I don't know that he ever physically assaulted a woman. But I knew that his entire ego was fed based on being a fire, fire, uh, based on being a firefighter. And that his reputation in the community was very important to him that he really wanted to appear as a normal person and having a professional wife and a normal middle-class family with children uh, was extremely important to his uh, status in the community and maintaining his position on the fire department and I knew that leaving him and putting in this protection order and accusing him of domestic violence um, was going to possibly put my life and my children's lives in danger. And so um, I took, with the help of my advocate and my attorney, I took the precautions necessary, um, and that's sort of the message that I have and the point of me doing this podcast Um and um like I said to you before the um recording that I'm going to spend the rest of my day in an anxiety spiral because <laughs> talking, you know, rehashing this story just triggers every single emotion and so i scheduled a therapy session for directly after
0: <laughs> <the>
1: recording <laughs> so to hopefully get myself off the edge, but, um, that, um, I've kind of made a list of, um, things that I think are important advice for women that are wanting to leave, um, that you have to reach out to professionals that, um, I know my husband's brother, is the same person as my brother or my husband and, um, his wife left him with three young children. She just left one day and he has like shared custody of those kids. He has full access to her and is still continuing to abuse her a year later, uh, because she didn't take any of these precautions. um, and was incredibly abused afterwards, um, directly after leaving, by his family, too. His family is uh, enablers and enmeshed and a whole other story. So reach out to professionals. Have them help you because I, I believe me and know and relate to um, the amount of fog that you're in I couldn't make a decision. I couldn't think clearly because of the gaslighting that had happened to me. I was so um, just indecisive and unable to um, understand what was happening and connect dots and have thoughts. And these professionals know what's happening to you, and they know the advice to give you. And they uh, most uh, through like domestic violence agencies they've been through it themselves so the first step is to reach out and um, the second step is when you decide to leave to keep it a secret Um, that I know that this was outside of my character that I am a very open person and very honest and um, the stuff that I started doing in secret was uncomfortable to me at first um and i did tell one close friend and two family members that i was doing it and that it was going to happen and outside of that it was completely in secret um to educate yourself about what you're dealing with, whether it's physical abuse or emotional abuse about the abuse cycle and how there's a honeymoon period in between incidents of abuse and how that's a beautiful time and that you'll think everything is better and it's not. Um, And how to get a protection order, you, you know, learn how, what your laws are in your state to um, I went, I took my children, Uh, two hours away for a couple of days and the police did all of the work for me they came to my house and they told him to he had 20 minutes to get um his clothes and any possessions that were work related and get out of my house and he would be arrested if he came back and um then he was served divorce papers and after telling him goodbye that day I took my children and and left, and it's been over a couple of months. I have had zero contact with him because of a protection order, which also gives you the time and the space to become clear headed and realize the work that you have to do to um, save yourself from these abusive situations. Also, document. Um, And record things. Let me tell you, I have a couple of audio recordings that um, have been lifesavers because if you're a love addict or if you're a codependent and you leave an abusive relationship, you want to go back. Desperately at the beginning. And I have been in that situation and doubting all of my choices and then listened to the recordings that I took. I have two 20 minute recordings and in those conversations is all of the lying and the projecting and the word salad and the playing dumb and the exaggerated claims and the, um, you know, provoking me to hysteria. All of that stuff is in the recordings, and it sets my mind straight again. So not just for, like, any potential court or whatever, uh, just for yourself to remember what actually was happening. Um, and then if you can, hide money, hide important papers, get an attorney, um, take the precautions that are needed Because whenever you leave is the most dangerous time, and there can be things that can be done. There are things that can be done to make it a little bit safer uh, for you, and especially if you have children.
0: And how are your children doing now that you uh, have left, and I guess there's with the protection order going on?
1: So my daughter has very limited contact with her father, and it has to be third-party pickup, so his grandma comes here and picks her up on Sunday at eight o'clock in the morning and she sees him for four hours and he has been inconsistent with those visits. They've primarily been with his family and he's not really, he has, I think he's had a couple of hours of one-on-one time with her from the, you know, she is extremely articulate and, um, um, able to kind of tell me like on the her visit with him where they celebrated Christmas he had worked at the fire department the night before and she said dad went to bed and I had Christmas with grandma and grandpa so uh, he's wholly uninterested it seems like um, but her behavior went from being um, so irrational and hysterical and out of control almost like objectionable defiant level To within six weeks, that child was normal. She was self-soothing whenever she was getting upset, uh, even at night, which she was completely unable to do six weeks before that. Um, She has moved into a regular bed from a crib, which I thought was going to be a complete um, nightmare because she wanted me in the night so much. She doesn't even get up or like it's so smooth uh we go out to meals and she sits still and talks and just is peaceful and um it is the biggest reason that I don't doubt I made the right choice has um, had the, the dramatic difference in her behavior and all of my family, everyone that interacts with her has noticed how dramatic it is. And my 13-year-old son uh, was almost completely emotionally shut down. I had put him in therapy. That's another thing I did when I chose to leave was uh, secretly start going to therapy and putting my... Can I put my son in therapy? Um, and he has become... Like, you know, um, a mouthy, funky, like, teenager. He's, he, like, talks back and he, um, does dumb things. Like, last night he dumped milk in his baggie of, uh, peanut butter crackers. I'm like, what the hell? And he's like, mm, it's good. And, you know, like, just stuff he never had the space to do before. Just innocent teenage behavior that, He's now. Um,
0: he got his voice free back. To have. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, um, so here's the biggest my, que-
0: here's the biggest question. How how are you?
1: Um, my shitty days are less shitty. So my worst days are less worse. Um, which is the thing that I'm the most grateful for. Like some days. Uh, When I'm really busy with work and my kids, um, I don't have uh, sadness and emotions and um, sort of overwhelming uh, feelings until my kids go to bed and there's that space between them going to bed and me going to bed. That's the heartbeat. But day to day wise, um, it's really rough. You know, it's only been a couple of months. But my worst days are less worse, um, and that's where I'm at right now. The loneliness is crushing. The. Um. Struggle the feelings of shame over the choices that I made that led to this, the lack of protective um, kind of capacity that I had for my children um it's crushing, and I'm in therapy, and I'm doing things like this um to. survive and get to a place where, um, this doesn't, um, make me bitter. It doesn't make me, because this for me made me realize that just the extent of cruelty in other human beings. I'd never experienced it. I'd worked in homes with child abusers for 10 years and hadn't realized that there are people that won't choose good if they, if, even when they know the difference between good and bad. My naivety was just through the roof. And so this has been like an existential heartbreak. This has been a, um, Realization of evil that I hadn't had before. And so it's even bigger than just a divorce and just um, an abused uh, woman. And it's realizing that this is in the world and coming to terms with that also. I'd say that's probably... My biggest issue,
0: well, I know you probably don't think this, but you know I've been listening to your story now for over an hour, and I've talked to you before, and you're you're a good person coming into this you take you've taken care of people for so long, and you might think that some of the things you've done have shame or guilt attached to them but they don't you know you were trying to take care of your own needs at a certain point in my mind and you know one wrong turn turned into into this and it kind of overtook everything but if you really look at who you are you're a loving giving generous person and Going forward, I think you're going to become an even more loving, generous person because I have, you know, this. I have a feeling is going to take you into the realm of being an advocate for people um, and, and being a bigger part of people 's lives and changing people 's lives on top of that, so even though the situation was terrible and everything that happened you know had a lot of things attached to it I, in my mind, I can already see it that you 're going to become this beacon, I think, for people because, you know, there's just something in the way you talk and the way you're able to communicate and share your story where I, I feel that that's going to happen for you. And I just want you to know that, that everything is, is you're just good. And, you know, you're a loving, good parent, mom, you are you were a, a good wife to someone who didn't deserve it. Um, you know, and you're, you're a good daughter as well. And I just, you know, if you haven't heard that, you should know it.
1: I don't know how to respond without breaking down to that because, you know, everything that I've read about recovering from this says, be kind to yourself. And those are words I never would have said to myself or couldn't say to myself. So thank you very much for that and um, I want to have more reverence for those abilities but now that I recognize that there are people walking among us that don't have those abilities I that's my goal is to appreciate and Value those in myself more, so thank you for recognizing them and saying that it,
0: because there are a lot of people in these situations where because i 've gotten emails from them before where i 've given them information to to go to like a domestic violence agency or, and things along those lines, and they don 't have any hope and they 're strong for staying in their situations and um, you know, I'm trying to understand more about uh, domestic violence as, as time has gone on and just the way of who the way you are and who you are. Hopefully, you know, when you you're ready to do it, you'll be a hopefully a beacon for those people that don't think that they have that ability to leave um, because there is the strength in you. And I can hear it. And I think everyone out here can hear it today, too.
1: Well, and like I said, that was my purpose of doing this podcast is to try and get, if I can help one person leave safer, then, um, you know, it's worth being vulnerable like this, um, and putting myself out there and putting my story out there so early when I'm so raw (laughs) and, um, that's. Immediately, my goal is being a hand up. It always has been. That's where I operate from. I always have operated from there. And um, one of the reasons that um, I think that I have love addiction is my mom um, has borderline, and I've dealt with needing to help (laughs) since I was first able to. And so it um a lot of times you hear, you know, these uh narcissists or psychopaths or whatever are victims, um, because they were abused. Well, some of us were abused and became helpers. And um some of us become so arrogant in our ability to help that we attract <laughs> psychopaths yeah. too. So um, you know, there's gotta be a balance. There's got to be um, the, uh, the desire to help and the ability to identify these people and stay the hell away from them
0: so before we end off our show do you have any final words before you end up going to your uh, therapy appointment <laughs> um, I
1: didn't think I could leave either um, between the time of realizing I wanted to leave and actually leaving was the weakest, craziest, most... I had panic attacks and anxiety night and day. I also, as a tool, besides all the things I listed before, I went and got um, anxiety medication for the first time in my life. Um, but... Um, you can leave. It does not matter how much you doubt yourself and how much you blame yourself and how insane and ashamed. It's one step at a time. It's one phone call for help at a time. It's, um, you know... It's possible you can, and there are people out there to help you. And, um, also, there is, um, legislation, um, uh, um, that's in jeopardy right now. The, the Violence Against Women Act, um, reach out to your, um, your legislators and your congresspeople and, um, demand that this, Um, gets renewed because it is one of the things that provides funding for domestic violence agencies that makes laws um, where boyfriends are just as guilty of domestic violence as husbands and things like that, look into it and reach out. And uh, that's an aside. Sorry. It just popped into my head Um, that strength comes afterwards As well, just a few weeks, just a couple of months, um, it was worth um, leaving. It was worth it. It was worth mustering every bit of courage and strength that I possibly could and reaching out and doing it because peace and um, hope are on the other side of it.
0: Well, Clover... Thank you for being part of the show today. I know you're going to change people's lives from being on this show. It was an honor,
1: Brandon. Thank you very much.
0: You're welcome. And for everyone out there who is listening, we both uh, hope you have a good night.